invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And um, we're, before I read that, actually, let me pray uh, for our offering this morning. Let's pray together. Oh God, everything that we have belongs to you. You're the one who gives us life and breath. Uh, You cause the blood to course through our veins. You watched over us as we slept and caused us to awake this morning. God, you are good in all that you do. And so uh, as we pause now to acknowledge our offering, whether we uh, give in person or online. Um, God, we return to you with uh, gratitude um, to you for what you have given to us already. And now as we give our attention to your word, God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so First Peter 4. And I'm going to read, uh, starting at verse 12, let me invite you to stand uh, with me as we give our attention to God's word this morning. 1 Peter Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to Christ's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word. Would you be seated, please? Well, if you've been with us for the past several weeks, you know that we are making our way through the book of 1 Peter. And one of the uh, central themes of 1 Peter is um, the way that God uses suffering in the life of Christians. And so here we are for, I don't know, the fourth or fifth week in a row opening up to 1 Peter and the section heading in uh, the ESV, at least, right there, says just very bluntly, suffering as a Christian. We're going to take one last look at the role of suffering in the life of the Christian. And, and here's kind of how I want to approach this this morning. Uh, the last, last week we looked at this passage that talks about grace and practice. And I think that often as Christians, we have this, um, this tendency to, to uh, kind of talk about grace. Grace is the central 
kind of core teaching of Christianity that, that, that God is favorably disposed to us because of Christ, not because of what we have done. And, uh, but we have this tendency to think of grace as maybe the way you become a Christian or maybe that grace is the way that God deals with us after we die. But in the day-in, day-out ordinariness of life, the weight of living is on our shoulders. And so last week we talked about what does it look like to live day in and day out in light of the grace of God. Peter's been showing us that everything about Jesus' life and death and resurrection transforms our life and, uh, and, and marks our lives. And so uh, everything that Jesus has done for us transforms the ordinariness of our lives. And then he turns the corner again in this next section and he kind of shifts gears by talking again about suffering one final time. And so here's, here's the question that I want to ask you this morning. Is grace sufficient for the weary? If grace is, is, is um, something we live out in our day-to-day lives when things are going well, that's good and that's great. But what about when things aren't going well? Is grace sufficient when you are suffering? Let me put it like this. We have just finished another week in a year that is almost shaping up to be a cliche of how badly things can go. I think by the end of 2020, just 2020 is going to become like a catchphrase for things going badly. (laughs) We really 2020 that one, didn't we? There is a a global pandemic. There is racial um, injustice that have whipped everyone into a frenzy. As a result of that, we have become kind of consumed with anxiety over the uncertainty of the future. Economically, our relationships are strained as everybody is an expert on everything and knows that it's the fault of somebody else. And I think the thing more than anything, that was a confusing phrase. (laughs) As I talk with friends, as I talk with families, I talk with you guys, the one thing I think that we all have in common is that we are weary. We're just tired. There is this sense that fatigue hangs over everything. And as you know, this um, this has been a hard week for me. I'll say more about that specifically later, but um, most of you know what I'm talking about, I think. This has been an emotionally exhausting week, a week filled with hard conversations. So uh, if, um, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to struggle to get through this. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but this is not theoretical. When we talk about the question, is grace enough? For those who are weary, I think, friends, we have to acknowledge that if God's grace means anything, it has to mean something when we are struggling, when we are tired. If God's grace is worth anything, it's got to buoy us in our weariness. It's got to bring us peace when everybody around us is losing our minds, their minds. So, how does grace encourage the weary? The first thing that I want you to see in this passage is that grace transforms our expectations Peter says in verse 12, don't be surprised. Beloved, he begins, this note of tenderness. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. If you're struggling right now, the first thing you need to know is that the struggle in your life is not a sign of God's displeasure or his judgment. Um, Peter says, don't be surprised, but he doesn't say don't grieve. Suffering, hardship, um, weariness, fatigue are real, and God intends to meet us in them. He doesn't say don't grieve. He doesn't say, you know, the sort of person who kind of has a way to wrap up everything in a happy way. God, Peter doesn't say to do that. He says your suffering is real. He also just says you don't need to like keep a, he's saying you don't need to keep a stiff upper, upper lip and pretend like it doesn't affect you. Our pains and sorrows are real. God intends to meet us in them and to use them for his glory and for our good. That's a hard truth, but it is true nonetheless. As we journey through life, I have found that there are basically three modes in which we experience our life. One is um, we go through, through life and the circumstances of life seem to pile upon us. And it just feels like, you know, we go through these times when it feels like you're going through something incredibly difficult at the moment. Okay, that's one, that's one stage of life. Another stage of life is when you've just come out of that season, right? Where you're like, that was tough. The third stage is when you really need to be careful because you haven't just come out of that and you're not in it, which means you're about to go into it. <laughs> that's the reality of life. Life is hard. Life is hard. You're either going to go through a hard time or you just came out of one or... Or, um, or buckle up because you're about to go in one. Life in a broken world will often be hard. Peter says, do not be surprised. And I think that in some ways, when we're surprised by suffering, the surprise can almost be worse than the suffering. Because if we don't expect to suffer when weariness or hardship sets in, it takes us by surprise, then what we do is we try to fight it off. We go, this is not the way my life is supposed to be going. I don't deserve this. We blame it on somebody else. We begin fighting the wrong battles. That is in large part, I think, what's happening in our culture right now. Peter says, do not be surprised. Okay, what does he mean when he says don't be surprised? Because nobody in January could have predicted what 2020 has become this year. I don't think he's saying... It's going to be a double negative if I finish that sentence. He's not saying, don't be surprised by the specifics of your suffering. We could not go back to December or January and um, sort of predict what would come of this year. It was all a surprise. When you lose your job, it's a surprise. When you are betrayed by a friend, it's a surprise, or else it wouldn't be a betrayal. It always catches you off guard. He's not saying that we should foresee all the specific circumstances of our lives. Rather, Peter is saying in a more general sense, don't be surprised when suffering arrives on your doorstep. Don't, when suffering finds you as it will in the Christian life, don't say, this is really strange. Why is this happening to me? The reality is that we almost never know the specific reason, you know, uh, why you know, why did I fall and break my leg? Um, 
you know, I, I haven't fallen a break much. Just as an example, why, did, why does this thing happen? We almost never know the specific answer to that. But in general, in general, biblically speaking, we know that God uses our suffering to mature us, to grow us up, to teach us how good he is, to teach us that we can rely on him. And Peter specifically says that God uses suffering to do two things in our lives here. He says, first, uh, he calls suffering a fiery trial. And the idea of a fiery trial is that suffering is something that God uses to purify us. And the image that he's referencing is that of a, of a, a metalsmith putting a piece of gold or a piece of silver into a fiery furnace so that the impurities that, that attach themselves to that you know, precious metal in, in its raw state are burned away and melted away until all that remains is pure gold. Suffering purifies us, but he also says that suffering is a test. And the, the idea of the test is the idea that it's, it's a proving ground. A test reveals what we have learned. Uh, we started homeschooling this week in our family. And one, uh, Ashley had given our kids an assignment to summarize the kind of first chapter of a book that they were reading. And one of our kids said, can I just summarize it in my head? You know, I know it in my head. I just don't want to have to say it or write it down. Can I just do it in my head? And we're like, no, no, that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not how a test works because a test reveals, it proves what we've actually learned. It proves the, the quality of what is actually there. And so what Peter is saying is this, God is going to use the difficult circumstances in your life to refine you and to prove you, to reveal what is, what is truly there. God will use the suffering that comes into your life to show you where you really run for comfort. He'll use the suffering in your life to reveal to you what you actually view as the source of your security. The, the reality is that comfort rarely reveals who we really are. I mean, you might be on vacation, sitting at a beach with a um, drink with a little umbrella in it, and you might look over at your spouse and say, wow, we are really blessed, right? But that's very different than when you've lost your job looking at your spouse and saying, God is the one who provides everything that we need, right? God will use the suffering to prove, but also to refine. It's often in our, in our suffering that we realize the things that we have looked to for comfort. Uh, alcohol, Netflix, do not bring life. It's when we're struggling financially that we cannot look to shopping to satisfy ourselves that we begin to let go, that God uses the, the suffering in our lives to, um, to, remove, to remove those things from our, from our lives. God will introduce pain. This is what this is saying. God will introduce pain into our lives. And when this happens, we tend to have this like, why me? Why is this going on? I can't think of any reason that God would allow this to happen. And because I can't think of any reason God would allow this to happen, there must not be a reason that God might allow this to happen. And so my suffering is nonsensical. He's going to hit every street, I think. Peter's saying God is at work in you. 
and we know how this works. I mean, some of you know how this works in the physical realm because you exercise. I used to exercise, but I stopped because it hurt. <laughs> but what are you doing when you exercise? You're, you're introducing a small measure of pain into your life that you might grow stronger for your own good. Listen to what Peter says earlier in, in, this, in this book. He said in, in um, chapter 1, he says, In this you rejoice, though, for, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just as you pay money, some of you hire a coach to introduce pain into your life. You give money to introduce pain into your life. You, you set aside daily chunks of time <laughs> to introduce pain into your life. God, for a little while, may introduce pain into your life so that you will grow. And Peter is saying, don't be surprised. God loves you. God is hell-bent on growing you into the likeness of his son. When God looks at you, he doesn't take the immediate view like we do when we experience suffering and we go, this is going to scar me for life and I'm going to be ruined. God takes the, the long view. He says, I'm going to introduce suffering, pain into your life in a measured way for a little time you may suffer, that you might be refined, that you might be tested so that you'll be shaped into the person that I've created you to be. Don't run, don't hide from your suffering. It's not a sign that your life has gone off the rails. It's a sign that God is involved in your life, that he loves you. Don't be surprised. Secondly, God gives grace to the weary by uh, inviting us to rejoice in suffering. Rejoice in suffering. Verse 13, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice in your sufferings. Now, doesn't that sound like the most foolish phrase that has ever been uttered? Rejoice in your sufferings? Why? That seems really odd to us. Why would we rejoice when things are going poorly in our lives? Well, notice that Peter does not say, rejoice that you are suffering. You know, he's not saying, coronavirus is here, awesome. The country is melting down. Can we get more of this? Everybody's angry at everybody all the time. What else can we do to make 2020 worse? Yes. He doesn't say rejoice that you are suffering. He says rejoice in your suffering. He's saying you are not the victim of your circumstances. You are not like a rag doll that is just tossed to and fro by circumstances in your life, and all you can do is respond emotionally to whatever is going on in your life. No option other than to feel terrible when life is hard. No, rejoice in your sufferings. Because, he says, when you suffer as a Christian, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Now, that's a strange phrase for 21st century Christians in the West, but what he's talking about when he says that, that, that when you suffer as a Christian, you're suffering with Christ, he is, he's talking about our mystical union with Christ. The reality that, that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he doesn't just do it 
for himself or, or as an example, but he actually suffers in our place. And so what happened to Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection happens to us if we are in him. And if we are in him, what happens to us also happens to Christ. When you suffer, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You are experiencing what has happened to Jesus himself. What he's talking about is the intimacy. I mean, think about this. One of the most intimate things we can do with a friend is to share in their pain. Peter is saying there is an intimacy that comes. There he is. <laughs> Peter's saying there's an intimacy that comes when we when we share in the sufferings of Christ. One of the great realities of the Christian life is that there's often a disconnect between what is objectively true of who we are in Christ and the way that we actually feel about it. Um, You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You stand before God without guilt or shame. But we often feel guilty. We are often racked with shame over who we are or what we have done. In Christ, you have no need because you have a Father who loves you and who knows what you need and who provides everything for you. But in reality, we often feel like we are at the end of our rope. We often feel like we're on the brink of collapse. In Christ, you are beloved You are the beloved of God who looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. But we often feel like everything is on our shoulders, like we cannot rest because the world will fall apart if we do. Peter is saying that God's grace comes to the weary because as we suffer for Christ, We are experiencing the very sufferings of Christ and we come to know more fully the work of Christ on our behalf as we suffer with him. So the question then is, why is that helpful? How does that help me if I'm I'm tired, if I'm suffering? It's helpful because the way that we tend to think about suffering is that suffering is the result of a problem. If, there is a, if, there's a, if we are suffering, it must be because something has gone deeply wrong in our lives. My life has gone off the rails. And so when we suffer, we do everything we can to avoid it. We hide from it. We minimize it. We blame it on somebody else. We fight against our enemies. And Peter is saying that when we suffer as Christians, we actually know the loving care and affection of God for us at a, at a deeper level. Uh, I've been reading, well, actually, I've been listening to um, the audio version of this book called um, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland because my wife pushed it on me aggressively. She aggressively pushed a book called Gentle and Lowly. <laughs> but... but um, Basically, um, in the introduction to this book, Dane Ortland says that this is a book that is written for weary Christians, for Christians who feel like God just sort of endures us. He, he says it's written for Christians who feel, who would say, I know God loves me, 
But most of the time I feel like he's, you know, putting up with me. And, and what he's doing in this book is he is saying the one time that Jesus says anything about his heart for his people is he, Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly. That it's actually our, our brokenness, our, our fallenness, our weakness that draws the heart of Jesus to us. He says, he says this, he says, The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way that the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it and yet truly desire it. It is as we suffer, it is as we are found in our brokenness that the heart of Jesus is moved with compassion towards us. It's as we suffer that the heart of Jesus is moved towards us. When I, you know, um, when I look at myself, I want to hide my sin. When I look at my failure, when I look at my weakness, when I look at my brokenness, I want to hide those realities from God because I'm afraid that God sees them and he thinks, yuck. I'm like, feels like God is treating me like he's got to put on you know, latex gloves before he comes in to fix me up. But what Peter is saying is that God doesn't just love us despite our brokenness, despite our suffering. It's actually because of our sin and our suffering that he is drawn to us with compassion. The Bible shows us that Jesus is full of compassion for his people and his heart swells for us as we suffer. I mean, think about it. As I think about my relationship to God, I think that if uh, I think that my sin and my weakness is the thing that keeps me from God, and it is. My sin keeps me from God. But Jesus has so overwhelmed, paid for the power of sin, that now my brokenness, now my weakness, actually causes his heart to reach out to me. I think that my suffering, my weakness, brokenness will, brokenness will keep me away from God. But when I think about my kids, I don't think about my interaction with them in that way at all. You know, I love my kids all the time. But, for example, when my daughter, in an effort to keep up with her older brothers on her skateboard, falls and hurts herself, I don't go, yuck. Right? My heart is moved with compassion for her. I love her all the time, but I'm drawn to her when I see her in her weakness. It's when I see her her fallenness, her, her frailty, that my heart swells with love and tenderness for her. And so it is with God. When you suffer, Jesus' heart moves with compassion towards you. We experience grace in our weariness because it's as we acknowledge our weakness that God's heart is aligned with ours or our heart is aligned more fully with his. So don't be surprised by suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. And then finally, thirdly, look to the glory that is revealed through suffering. Look to the glory that is revealed through suffering. Look at verses 13 and 14. Peter says, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, 
that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, where is his glory revealed? Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Grace comes to the weary as God strategically introduces small amounts of pain into your life for his glory and for your glory. It's through suffering that God is glorified and you are made glorious. In order to understand this reality, you have to understand that biblically, uh, the word for glory, the Hebrew word glory, doxa, means weight. It means weightiness in the sense of like significance. Uh, it, it's, 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 to say that something is glorious is to say that something is so brilliant because it truly matters. It truly matters. And I think one of the reasons that we often push back or kick against suffering when it comes into our lives is because we have this feeling that suffering doesn't matter, that it's meaningless. When we say, why? What is going on? Why is this happening to me? What is its significance? I don't want to go through this discomfort because I don't think it really matters. But what did Peter say? He says, if you suffer for the sake of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Glory is revealed through suffering. Did you ever see the movie about the kid who was born in royalty and raised in the lap of luxury and went on to live a comfortably mediocre life? (laughs) You didn't see that one? (laughs) Why? Because it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's boring. Nothing happens. Every great story is about the story of somebody who overcomes adversity on the way to glory. Doing something that was impossible at great personal risk, that's what glory looks like. And so it is with you. I was um, doing some research in this whole image of um, gold purified by a fire. Um, this metaphor in this passage. And um, one of the things I came across was uh, an, an interview with a metalsmith, somebody who you know, throws, throws precious, uh, precious metal in its raw state into a furnace to, uh, to melt away the impurities. And the uh, person who was interviewing them asked, how do you know when it's been purified enough? How do you know that this raw hunk of metal has had all of the impurities melted out of it. How do you know when the fire has done its work and it's ready to be taken out? And the, the metalsmith said something I thought was interesting. He said, I know it's ready to take out of the fire when I can see my face in it. What he's saying is, in its impure state, the, the reflection is muddied, but as the impurities are melted out, it begins to shine and reflect his own image back to himself. And so it is with God. That is what God is doing in our lives. He will stop at nothing to see his image 
purified in us until when God looks at us, what he sees reflected back to him is the image of his son. That's what glory looks like. When through suffering, you hold on to Jesus, he tests you and he purifies you. His heart, your heart is aligned with his heart and you more faithfully reflect his image in your life. Friends, don't believe the lie that says that the path to significance is a life of avoiding suffering. The good news is this, friends. God loves you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He he sent his son to live and to die and to be raised again. He is at work in your life even now. By his spirit, he is at work in us. And though for a little while you may suffer, it's just a short momentary affliction as God makes you more and more into the glorious image of his son. This is what he is doing in you. He is absolutely committed to this work. Would you pray with me? God, we don't like pain. We don't like to suffer. We don't like it when things um, go awry in our lives. We don't like living through uncertainty. We don't like it when our um, friends betray us, when our marriages are strained, when our uh, children are going off the rails. We don't like it when our when our jobs are uncertain, when, um, when our cars break down. We don't like it when we are insulted. We don't like it uh, when we're not winning at life, when we don't feel like our team, our people, our ideology is winning. God, I'm so thankful that you don't hold your nose and walk away from us in our brokenness. The very thing that we would have done had we been in charge. But God, somehow in your immense wisdom and power, you come into the midst of our brokenness and you take our flesh upon you. And you live for us and you suffer the greatest injustice this world has ever perpetrated. And you take that and you turn it not into shame, but into power to redeem us, to buy us back, to fix us, to heal us. Oh Jesus, would the reality of your suffering transform the way that we look at our lives? Would we count it not an inconvenience, but as uh, the faithful saints have for 2,000 years, would we count it a blessing to suffer with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.